God be with you. Everyone's still doing okay? We're still here? Some of you are. Great. So before we get into everything, did anyone see this on the news this week? Keith, next slide. <laughs> so, this is why Christians are so dumb. So someone built a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. And it's become a whole theme park. So in the Bible, like for some reason, they actually give you how to build the ark. Like it, it gives you the exact measurements that the story says Noah built the ark with. And so someone went and, and rebuilt it, and then you can pay money to go inside and tour it. And they've got like the dinosaurs over here because obviously they were on the ark. And they have all the other compartments. They have gender-specific washrooms that you can go into. It's, it's a whole thing you can do. So this is what this I I love I love this story for so so many reasons. But most of all, who else other than Christians would think a story about genocide would make a great theme park? And also, the reason why it was in the news, <laughs> so it got rain damage, and the makers are suing their insurance company because the rain isn't covered. So just take a second. Noah's Ark, the boat that floated when rain came, they're suing their insurance company because they did not get rain coverage. You can't make this up. Like, seriously. So, save your money. Don't go to the park, please. Anyways, next slide. I just thought that was funny. So this morning, to get back on track... We're going to do something that um, used to drive me nuts. In fact, I swore at my ordination that I would never do what I'm about to do. I was like adamant about it. I'm like, never will I do this. You know how like when you're, uh, you've got kids for the first time and you're like, I'm never going to do what my parents did. You have that much like indignant like, no, I will not do it. That was me at my ordination ceremony. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to ignore 95% of this story that you just heard. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't even exist. I'm not even going to address it. See, when I was growing up, I remember all these times when I'd be at church and the scripture story would be read, and I'd be like, whoa, that is a crazy story. Like, like what is he going to do with that? I'm interested in this part and this part. Like, what is Jesus up to? This is going to be good. And then Peter, my minister, he would get up there, but he'd only speak to like a tiny fraction of the story, like just a word or a sentence or just a character. He'd get up there and he would completely ignore 95% of the story. And so I, of course, I'd get all indignant and frustrated and cross my arms and stare out the window in frustration and not even hear what he's saying because I'd just be so caught up in my emotions. Like, how could he not speak about the whole thing? 
And I know some of you probably feel the same way about me. I see you cross your arms and get all confused and disappointed when I don't touch on that one piece of the story that you want me to talk about. But here's the thing. This is what Peter knew that I would only figure out five years later. Peter knew that the point of opening up the Bible isn't just to read these stories. The point is to let these stories read us. We open up the Bible because it's about letting the Spirit speak to us through these ancient and primitive stories. About offering us these truths and wisdoms about God, about where this world is going, about what it means to be human. And it's about trusting that sometimes, and usually most of the time, that happens through just a word, through just a line, or sometimes through just a character in the story. And so this morning, we're going to try to honor that part of how the Spirit works. And we're going to completely ignore 95% of this story and focus in on just one section of it. And hopefully we'll find there a truth and a wisdom that we all need to hear, but we all definitely do not want to hear. And so my friends, this morning, we'll visit that part of the story and then we'll end up with some questions to take home. Are you with me? Awesome. Let's start with a prayer. Would you bow your heads, please? And let us say a prayer. So God, here we are. All kinds of people from all kinds of places. We've all got stuff going on. But yet we chose to show up. And so may you use this time to speak to us. Use my words. You Use your words. May you say something, and may we hear it. And so, God, I ask that you do your thing. Amen. So before I tell you the part of the story that stood out for me, and then force you to hear about it, I'm curious which part of the story stood out for you. When, you, when Fran read that story, what, what resonated with you? What questions, what images, what parts made you want to pull over? And there's no right or wrong answers. It's just, I'm curious. The man left saying a word. The man left, yeah. Why did he leave without saying? He didn't even acknowledge that he got healed. What is up with that? Yeah. What else? Well, so, yeah, so it's like, why did he get in trouble for carrying a mat around? And what's going on with that? And why was that such a stink? Yeah. Thirty-eight years, yeah. And with with average life expectancy not being much higher, what's going on with that? Oh yeah. So many sermons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he totally just complains and tries to blame somebody else, defer it. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, he couldn't recognize Jesus. He didn't even learn Jesus' name. Yeah, what's up with that? How quickly he pointed Jesus out when he knew he would get in trouble. Yes, yeah, so Jesus heals him and then he just, he just throws Jesus underneath the bus. Yeah, Corolla. And what was he sick with? 
Yeah, so many good questions. Yeah, last one. So that line stood out for you. God works on the Sabbath, and so do I. Yeah, I love that line too. That's a good one. So there's like two months of sermons right there. It would be actually really fun, and we've talked about this before, about just focusing in on one story for a whole month and just seeing how many sermons can we get out of this one story and really honoring just how fruitful and juicy this stuff is. For me, however, I'm I'm with you. Where I had to pretty much just stop reading was when I found out how long that man had been sitting there. 38 years. 38! That's 13,870 days. Think about that for a second. Put that into context of your own life. That's basically as long as I've been alive. 38 years of laying on that mat, waiting and hoping to be healed. And when I read this, it was his story that I couldn't get out of my head. And it was his story that we'll be spending some time with this morning. And now we know absolutely nothing about this guy other than that. For whatever reason, he can't stand up, he can't walk. And for 38 years, he's been laying on a mat near this cool pool called Bethsaida. And it's just outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And we're told that he's waiting on this mat, waiting for that pool to bubble up. And so the first century in the Middle East at this time, it was a common belief that that certain pools or streams or ponds had magical healing properties. Water has always had that kind of association. Water has always been connected with, with new life and rebirth. And people thought that somehow, in some way, certain bodies of water uh, would bubble up. And that would be a sign that this was their chance for new life, and they could rush in, and that body of water would heal them from whatever they're suffering with. And that's what's going on here. And what we know about ancient Jerusalem at this time, there were about these four or five pools just outside this gate. And people would crowd around them, And they would wait for an angel to swoop down and just kind of touch the water. And it would ripple out. And whoever was the first person in, they would be healed from whatever they're suffering from. And so you can imagine the scene. It's a festival, it's a holiday, so even more people are in Jerusalem. So hundreds and hundreds of people are gathered around these pools. All of them are suffering from something. All of them are waiting. All of them are jostling for position, anxious to be healed, waiting for their pain and their suffering to be taken away. And this man, he's there amongst them. He's laying on his mat. He's unable to move. He's unable to walk. He's in pain. And he's been watching those waters for 38 years. That's 38 years of waiting, of letdown, of isolation, of neglect. 38 years of being pushed aside and stepped on whenever that pool would bubble up. 38 years of laying on his mat, 
imagining the day that he could finally leave it all behind. Which we get, can't we? We can get what that's like. His story is probably our story. 38 years isn't so much about the length of pain, it's more about the depth of pain. It's about the kind of despair he's feeling. It's talking about the kind of existence and life that he has. And if we've done any kind of living, if we've got any kind of empathy for the world around us, we know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it's like to sit and wait only to have our hopes deferred. We know what it's like to have the system against us. We know what it's like to be pushed aside and unable to get the one thing that we need. We know what it's like to be stuck. We know the kind of existence he has. We know, do we not, what it's like to be on that mat. Anyone know what we're talking about? And so for me, at least, it makes complete sense that when Jesus comes up to the guy and says, do you want to be healed? The guy responds the way he did. What if, like, Do I want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. Do you think I'm sitting on this mat for fun? You think I haven't tried to get to this pool? I keep getting pushed aside. I keep getting stepped on. I've all but given up. Because again, we get it, don't we? I mean, it's kind of a patronizing question. Do you want to be healed? Of course we want to be healed. Who doesn't? We all have parts of our lives we want to leave behind. We all want to step into something new and something completely different. Nobody wants to live like that. And so the man he tells Jesus this, never really answering his question, because as far as he's concerned, healing's out of the question. He's got 38 years of evidence that that's not going to happen. Any faith that he's had was taken away a long time ago. He's basically resigned to the fact that he's going to be on his mat for the rest of his life. But then, but then, and this is just so powerful, not caring the man has lost hope, not caring the man has no faith, and not caring about the guy's attitude, Jesus walks up and he says, get up, walk away, and take your mat. And the man, without saying a word, does exactly that. He stands up, he picks up his mat, and he walks away. What is weird about that? What's the strange thing about that? No thank you. He doesn't say anything. But even more so than that. It's not that he says nothing. It's not that the guy gets healed. Jesus does that all the time. That's not the shocking part of the story. The shocking part, the weird part, the strange part of this story is that Jesus tells this man to do the one thing he would not want to do. Not get up, 
not walk away, but take your mat with you. Jesus wants him to take his mat. Why? Why would Jesus say that? I mean, after 38 years, it's probably barely even a mat anymore. You can imagine how gross, how frayed, how much of a piece of garbage this mat would be. But even more to the point, we can imagine the man thinking, I need to do what now? You want me to take my mat with me? This mat? This mat I've been on for 38 years? You want me to take with me the one thing that symbolizes all my pain, all my suffering, all my struggle? I don't want to be reminded of this part of my life. I hate this part of my story. I don't want to take this thing with me. Because again, we get that, don't we? I'm right there with the guy. There are parts of my life that I wish never happened. I've got things that symbolize that. I've got my own mat. In a box in my room at my parents' house is a box of junior high yearbooks. Every time my mother comes to visit, she says, do you want me to bring these with me? And every time I say, hell no. It's not because I don't have space for them. Junior high was brutal. I wish I could just leave that part behind. I do not want to remember that. I don't want those around. I don't want to be reminded of that part of my story. I've got my own mat. You guys probably have yours. Because we've all got our mats. We've all got those things that symbolize parts of our stories that we would rather forget. And the last thing we want is to take them with us. Because when it comes to our pain and our suffering, we want to be healed. But we don't want to take the pain and suffering with us. We want to leave it behind. And so here's the thing about all of this. And this is where that truth and wisdom that we don't want to hear but we all need to hear kicks in. Because it's a truth and a wisdom that's going to rub us the wrong way. But it's a truth and a wisdom that we have to learn to embrace and surrender to. And it's probably one of the truths and wisdom that this is a lifelong practice that we'll all be terrible at our whole lives. And that truth and wisdom is this. When it comes to our mats, we have to take them with us. When it comes to moving forward into new life, we can't leave the old behind. As much as we would love to leave pain and suffering behind, as much as we would love never to be reminded of it again, the only way to move on, the only way to healing, the only way into new life is to take it with us. Because the thing is, to be healed is not the same thing as to be cured. In our faith and spirituality, when we talk about healing, what we're talking about is being made whole. 
To be healed is to be made whole. To be healed is to be at peace with who you are and what your story is. To be healed, as Brene Brown would put it, is integration. It's to learn to integrate all of our experiences, including the falls. And I think this is important with us for us to sit with because if you look at what Jesus is about, if you look at all his life and work, you'll see that he's not really concerned with curing people. I don't think you can actually find one story where he actually cures someone. Instead, what we see him do again and again and again is go out of his way to heal people. Which is interesting. Because you would think that a God of love and grace and second chances, this God of life, would be all about curing people. You would think that Jesus would prancing down the streets going, cured, cured, cured. And everyone just leaving it all behind, stepping into new life where they don't even remember the bad parts of their story. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes through life quietly healing people as he goes. God's not about erasing our pain and suffering because God understands that pain and suffering are simply baked into being alive. And so instead of curing, God gives us a different way to deal with our pain and our suffering. And God offers healing. The work that God invites us into isn't leaving it all behind but it's learning to take it with us. It's learning to embrace it. It's learning to say it all belongs. It's getting to the point where we can each say, I hate that this happened to me, but this is my story and I love who I am. And the only way to do that, the only way to wholeness, is to do the really, really, really hard work of taking your mat with you. The wisdom this story invites us into is that the only way into wholeness is to embrace all your parts. I once read a story about a woman named Grace. And Grace lived in a nursing home. And one day her friend Joe came to visit her and he found Grace sitting in bed clearly upset about something. And, oh, Joe, she said, come in, come in. Can you do me this favor? I've lost something, and I need your help looking for it. And so Joe came in and said, sure, what have you lost? And then Grace looks at him and says, I can't find my left boob. See, Grace is in the nursing home because she had a double mastectomy. And she couldn't find her left prosthetic. She went out to lunch and could not find where she put it. And so Joe looks all around the room and finds it underneath the bed, and he gives it to her. And Grace looks at him and says, thanks. It's good to have all my parts. In order to be whole, in order for you to be you, and for, in order for you to live out and tell your story, you need to have all your parts. You can't be whole if you keep refusing to bring pieces with you. 
And the work of grace, the work of that spirit of life is helping us be able to embrace it all, saying it all belongs, and this is who I am. Last week we heard the truth that the only thing God needs us to do is be who we are and where we are. And the truth from this story backs that one up. And it says the only way to do that is to embrace your whole story. So we'll end with a question. So knowing that we can be healed, and knowing that healing requires no faith, requires no will, and you can have the biggest attitude you want, and knowing that wholeness is here for all of us, and knowing it's good to have all our parts. The question for you to take home with you this morning, what's your mat? What do you need to take with you? What have you been wanting to leave behind, but you now need to carry it forward? What's your mat? And so that thing popping into your head right now, that's probably your answer. So don't stuff it down, but embrace it, and know that is the key to wholeness. And so church, as you head from this place this morning, may you have the courage to pick it up. May you get up, and may you walk away, knowing that that is the way to healing, that is the way to wholeness, that is the way to being you, and the only thing that God wants us to do is be ourselves. So may you go in peace. May you go in love. May you go and do it loudly. May grace and peace be with you. Amen. Why don't we stand up and sing a song together?